Hello and welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand. This week's guest is Annie Lennox. Annie is a Scottish singer-songwriter, political activist and philanthropist. She's most well-known, of course, as the front woman of the Eurythmics. She's won four Grammys and has sold over 83 million albums worldwide. Annie has just released the 10th anniversary reissue of her album, A Christmas Cornucopia, that includes the single Dido's Lament. She is also absolutely lovely and the reason that i've chosen this part to give to you for free on this stream is because it was the most exciting bit i thought she was this is a bit where me and annie what did we talk about on this bit jen uh you talk about gifted singers and yeah yeah we took this is good we talk about the gifted singer and i talk about how the singing voice is like a ghost in the machine and like the power of chanteuses and the purpose power of Gift and purpose. The power of gifts and purpose. I hope you really enjoy it. And if you do, please consider subscribing to Luminary. You can get a Luminary subscription for as little as $2.99 a month. It's a fantastic platform. I'm very proud to be on it. There's other great content creators such as Lena Dunham and Trevor Noah and all manner of great podcasts. Plus the back catalogue of Under the Skin, which I would describe without hesitation as a kind of online university. You download all that stuff into your noggin and you're going to be, well, you'll be, you'll be as clever as a chap with two heads. So uh, have a listen to this episode with Annie Lennox. I hope you enjoy it. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. How curious, um, when you describe that moment of the sort of the tectonic plates of your reality shifting as a result of the uh, ascent of your um, first, uh, you know, sort of globally successful record, uh, it made me think that whenever you're, you it made me wonder, it made me curious about what your relationship with your gift has been. I think of the voice and people that are sort of gifted singers that it's a kind of out of body ability where is the voice it's a ghost in the body it's a vibration it's not actually in the body there is no sort of you know that where is it what is it this thing and you have that sort of transcendent uh quality to your singing when did you first experience it and when did you first allow yourself to sort of fantasize that it might sort of take you on that kind of journey and then what is it like when you feel as you say those doors opening and uh, uh, that that world opening up with all of its uh, challenges yeah I, i i often think about this like the emergence of a voice what it is and I have to go back to being an only child. And I think you're an only child. You, I say, I'm still an only child. Are you still an only child? I am, I am. There can be only one. Strange. It's, um, well, I, I'm sure that there must be some parallels in our experience of the singularity. Um, and you feel the sense of singularity. And you, you, you spend long periods of time alone. And in that time, there is a sense of loneliness and isolation and kind of needing to actually access some kind of muse within you. And I had a singing voice 
for as long back as I can remember. My mother told me that I used to sing myself to sleep. Um, and I, I just can't remember not singing. You know, as a little girl, uh, spending periods of time alone in the countryside with my grandparents, I would go, I would go outside to play and I would actually sing and sing and make up, you know, I'd be in a musical, I'd be dancing. There were, there were places where I could, you know, just, I don't know, I was so responsive to music. Music was always there. And I sang in choirs. It was a local music center. I was a working class, from a working class background. And I got into a posh school when I was very, very young. I passed a test and they and I got into the school and it was in the west you know west end of town with the fancy big building very intimidating I had to wear a uniform and uh, they, they they recognized that I had a musical musicality let's say and I started music lessons piano lessons when I was seven with an wow. old-fashioned strict piano teacher it's like something from Roald Dahl and uh, <laughs> yeah I, I mean memory so we've got to talk about memory because it's that's the thing. It's memory is like the narrative of your life, how you come into being, how this gift comes to you, and how on earth. I mean, I know about a little bit from listening to you that you've talked about discovering that when you performed in a school play, people reacted and it felt like you knew where your direction was, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I did, Annie. I felt like, uh, oh, this is sort of uh, simultaneously it's purpose, power, gift, transcendence, embodiment. And you don't really have the vocabulary or the framework to understand it. But where there was uncertainty, there is a kind of certainty. And I was thinking that when you've experienced moments such as the one you described there about like, you know, in, in sort of commercial terms and to a degree artistic terms because of, you know, popularity surely means something of experiencing a number one record that it kind of must be like, oh, wow, that thing, it's happened. It's actually happened. And what I remember is that from being very sort of like from doing that f the first time I performed, feeling like, oh, right, I'm not worthless. I've got this thing. I knew I had something. And then suddenly it was weaponized and engaged um, to the point where, you know, it was like 15 years until it even became meaningfully monetizable, pr probably because of the mental health and drug addiction issues that were sort of accompanying it. And how... And, you know, it, it does, there is a, a kind of uh, a mythic truth to it that the gift comes from the wound and the fulfillment of the gift is a kind of further wounding, a further separation. It, it feels like the gift is going to bring you home, but it takes you further away from home than you could ever imagine being. It's, it's, it's incredible to hear you speak in these terms. And that is really one of the reasons why I enjoy listening to you, your program, because it, get, it has emotional intelligence and it has such depth and it, you are able to articulate uh, aspects of life experience that we don't often get to share, we don't get to discuss. I mean, you'll know this well, that process of exposure that we've just touched on when you go to 
a radio station or a TV show and it's eight o'clock in the morning and you have to be on and there's bright lights and you come on and you sit there and there's somebody who's already got the slot to speak to you but their eyes are shifting and you're nervous because it's a live broadcast and you're not as experienced maybe as you should, could be or should be. And they're looking at you and the whole situation is bizarre and you get that impulse to just run away. <laughs> what would happen if I ran away? It's like when you stand on the edge, right? When the, the tube train is coming and you think, whoa, what if I just like jumped in front of the train? You, you know that those impulses, balconies. And so you're in a live broadcast and it's so art artificial. One of my uh, mentors said, sorry to interrupt you, dear Annie. One of my mentors said, never trust anyone that doesn't have those that doesn't admit to those impulses because it shows that you're in touch with your shadow if like if someone gives you a baby and somewhere on your mind you think i could just fucking throw this baby <laughs> like if it, it was like it means that that you're not if you can't access that in yourself then it one day it may very well bite you i speak to a lot of friends that have been through the entertainment industry which is obviously it's you know changing as all things are and I must say it put it makes me shudder, Annie, to think about sort of turning up on those couches at eight AM in those lurid lights to essentially to promote some artifact. And and like for me now, uh, like I suppose what my life has become about is a sort of an aligning where I think like I'm only going to do things if I can make sense of them. And even when I do sort of projects like collaborative projects, shall we say that. Um, are artistically valid I still feel I don't like being taken out of control of my life I'm still very much like I was when I was a little boy really of just like just leave me alone <laughs> let me get on with what I'm doing and oh, it breaks my heart to think of you having to even via zoom having to go on to I don't know good morning Britain or good morning anywhere and you know tell them why your record's good you know my experiences are so crazy so surreal I mean, um, you couldn't, like I said earlier, you couldn't make it up. And the thing is that sometimes you have to have, you always have to have the sense of composure, the preparation for performance. And you know, I mean, well, I say you'll know this, but we've been, you and I have been through something together, which is waiting on the side, waiting, waiting, waiting all day, actually because the show that you're about to do is on at nine o'clock. And let's say it's a concert. For, for me, I've done hundreds and hundreds of, maybe thousands, I think, of performances. And each one, back in the day, I would be absolutely terrified. I had an issue with stage fright. And it built to such a point that I, I always thought I'm going to have a panic attack on stage. Mm. Something, it, it would just, it just built. It was just so, it was, it was too much. But that thing of preparation, 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 then waiting, then waiting. I would be like a fighter waiting to go onto the ring because I'm feeling this pressure. It's all on you. You are the apex of the triangle. You know, there's, people are behind you, but you are the voice. You are the one that is facing it, out, outward facing. And there could be 10, 20, 50,000, who knows how many people there. And you have to kind of overcome this, this feeling of the schism within you, which is like, okay, I know what I have to do. I'm not going to forget the words. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. You know, nothing's gonna go wrong. I'm like, I'm, I mean, in everything that could possibly go wrong, I've experienced it. You know, like coming on and there's no mic or it's going, and there's like a live broadcast on radio and everything has clunked to a stop. <laughs> it's like those nightmares that keep you, you know, those ones, it's spinal tap, you know, <laughs> backstage, rock and roll. <laughs> That's the, the truth. I suppose the reason that um, performance occurs so frequently in people's nightmares and as Jerry Seinfeld famously says that, you know, most people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of death. And so most people, if they were at a funeral, they'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Jerry Seinfeld's joke um, like that, that in a way, when you're in that performance space, you are sort of it's a very heightened place to be at and it does make me respect people that are performers that can that can handle it that can handle going into that space and the only way like i recognize that fear there were so many times when doing shows particularly when i was doing things that i didn't feel like i was in control of like hosting big award shows and things where i felt like i just don't want to do this this is mental and in a sense there was a kind of authenticity to that and particularly when you sort of talk about like the having to go on other people's shows because we know that there are marketing and commercial imperatives that in a sense determine what these things are like and the only way that i'm finding of managing it even now annie is to try to align with a purpose that i can stand to live with like that i'm only going to do things in service of what i really believe in and that could be as simple as simple and as ordinary as i've got a wife and children so i've got financial obligations or it could be as you know esoteric as i think there is an opportunity for us to reach people and convey sublime truths that will help them to overcome the imprisonment of the ordinary this is so beautiful that was a, a bit of my conversation with annie lennox on under the skin from luminary go over to luminarypodcast.com and download the app it is two dollars 99 a month if you get to get uh like you can get a free trial i think can you get a free trial Seven day. Seven day free trial. Get a seven day free trial. See if you like it. I absolutely love it. I'm very proud of the content on there. And remember, really, these days, we've got to pay for online content. Otherwise, you're just being advertised at and mashed into a pulp of consumerism. And frankly, I'm very proud of what I do on there. All right. Thanks for listening.